book of Colossians is an interesting book found in the scriptures that talks about the supremacy of Jesus the Christ. But why is that? Why has Paul put so much attention into this conversation? Today on the Midweek Move, we're going to talk about that. Hello, welcome to the Midweek Move, the podcast where we're going through the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, and asking ourselves, what does it mean? What does it mean in context, and how does it apply to our lives? And uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, we're on the beginning ground of a uh, new chapter, a new a new section of our conversation. We're going to be talking about the book of Colossians for the next uh, four weeks, and before we get into it, we're going to do something that is important to us here at The Healing Place. When we teach people about how to read the Bible and what it looks like to get into the Word, we tell them, hey, look, when you study the Bible, you need to ask yourself some questions, and that's simply this. Who's, who's talking? Who's it written to? What does it mean to the original readers? And so that takes a little bit of work on the back end to get into it and to discuss it. So today is kind of the groundwork. We're breaking ground to help us understand who the book of Colossians is written to and what it means in the context of the original audience. So that as we go through this over the next several weeks, it clicks for us. It makes sense for us as we walk through this together. So first off, the book of Colossians. Who, who are the Colossians? Who's it written to? Well, Colossians is a, it's a written to a group of people in a city called Colossae. I can never say these correct things correctly. And it's located basically in modern-day Turkey. In the, uh, at the time of writing this, when Paul wrote this, it was considered to be a small town. But what's interesting about Col- Colossians, uh, about Colossae, is that it used to be a booming town city. It used to be a place where a lot of commerce took place because it was really strategically located in a great place. They had great ranching farmlands. They had uh, the resources for an amazing textile business that took place within the city. This place was amazing as people came from all over the place coming through and in to Colosseum. And as time passed though, and the uh, Greek army began to move in, do the, establish their own things, they began to establish in the neighboring cities, pulling the tension away from Colossae, and therefore the city began to kind of decline a little bit. I relate this back to a, there's a small town I used to live in called Ash Grove. It's up in Ash Grove, Missouri, and it's a, it's a beautiful small town, uh, lovely people there. I uh, love a lot of those people so much. I have a lot of great memories living in that town, but at one point in time, Ash Grove was a booming town. It was projected to become a massive city and be a great a point of growth, a place that you wanted to be in. But at some point, a neighboring town called Springfield, which some of you guys may recognize the name, it blew up. All of a sudden, they had their own things going on, and it became a major city. And Ash Grove slowly declined, and now is a, a very quiet, very small town instead of what it could have been a major metropolitan area. And this is kind of what's happened in Colosseo. This is a place that had high expectations, a lot of great things taking place, and now it's decimated into something simple. But there's still elements of things that have been left behind. There's still uh, the different uh, natives of the area that are there. There's still people who are Greek who grew up in the area uh, that have, have settled there. And also, there's a lot of Jews there that are, are found themselves there because of the dysphoria that took place, which the dysphoria was where the Jews were scattered across the nation. So this is the audience that's there. Now, the church that was started in Colossia that's an interesting conversation of itself. Paul did not start this church. It was a guy named uh, Epaphras. I can never say his name correct either. Uh, he's probably the one who started it, but we know for a fact that it was evangelized. This, this little town was evangelized during Paul's stay in the area in Acts chapter 19. 
specifically verses 9 through 10, mention how they evangelized that area for a total of two years. Now, if you want to know more about Acts chapter 19, check the show notes down below. I will have a link to both the podcast version and the YouTube version of that conversation. But speaking of Paul, that brings into the conversation of the authorship. Who wrote the book of uh, Colossians? Now, historically, we say Paul. In fact, the, the, the book itself, the letter itself, says that Paul wrote these words, both in the intro and the outro. However, it is disputed, and these are things that we need to discuss sometimes. And you ask, well, Dallas, why do we need to talk about the reason why it's disputed? Because we have a problem where people are walking away from the church because they're faced with hard questions. People are, are doubting the Bible. And if we don't prepare people to understand these questions and understand the context of things, we're not preparing them to do well. So some of the disputes that come up as about the Pauline authorship of Colossians basically boils down to three sections. And first off is vocabulary. The vocabulary is in there. The way that Paul talks about certain things, the way that he, he speaks to certain situations seems off from his normal conversation. But when you step back and read the book in its entirety, you realize he's speaking to a very specific situation. He's answering some very specific uh, questions. And when he does that, he's using the language of the people who are struggling. He's using the language they brought to him to answer them so they can understand correctly. So is, the, is that a good reason for us to doubt the authorship of Paul? <clears throat> Not really. When somebody asks you a question... You would often do the same thing. You would use the ver their very vocabulary to respond to them, to help them grow, to take their next step. That's all Paul's doing here. The next thing is the style of writing. It seems a little different from his normal style. Uh, the main uh, the main doubt that people have is like, well, there's this elongated section of Thanksgiving where he's thanking people a lot. Again, that's really not enough evidence to doubt that Paul wrote this, but it is a complaint some people have. Now, one conversation about that is that Paul's writing this, and we'll get into this a little bit later. He was in prison. So, yeah, he's thankful to see these people. <laughs> he's thankful to talk with these people. And so, again, vocabulary and style, things that we can throw out the window. But an interesting conversation does rise up about the doctrine that's being presented in this uh, uh, chapter, in this uh, book of the Bible. Uh, the focus of Paul's theology is heavily on the conversation about the supremacy of Jesus as the Christ. This is what we call Christology, the study of Christ. And it's super heavy on this. In fact, there's some things that people look at and they go, you know, this is really pretty similar to John. And some people have thrown out the, the, the theory, the question, did John write this? Now, here's the deal. Why can't two apostles both have a high view of Christ? Why can't they have the same conversation about who Jesus is as the Messiah? You guys catching why this is kind of a ridiculous conversation to have? I mean, if I'm sitting in a room with somebody else and we're, we're both believers, we're going to have the same view of who Jesus is. At least we should. <laughs> if not, there's problem in the early church. So again, we kind of move that to the side and understand that's really not at all is happening here. At the same time, we have to understand again the reasoning. There's a specific reason that Paul is focusing so much on the supremacy of Christ. And if he's having to focus on it for a situation, he's going to talk about it a lot. So we can remove those arguments from the table. So some arguments, though, for Paul's writing of it. Um, at the same time of the, as this uh, particular book was being written, there's another letter that was sent to Colossia, and that was called Philemon. And Philemon, it's, it's, a, it's a powerful one-chapter book. <laughs> Obviously not a chapter, but it was a, or not a book, but it was a letter written on behalf of a man named Philemon. And 
let me tell you guys, there's a lot of power in that, in that you need to check that out. But it's in the same area. In fact, a lot of the people mentioned in Philemon are mentioned in this very book of Colossians. And a lot of historians will sit back and they examine these two things and they say, you know, there's never been doubt that Paul wrote Philemon. If there was doubt that he wrote Philemon, then historical context would have told us that there would have been some doubt about Colossians. But there's no history of the doubt of Paul writing uh, Colossians up until the late 19th century when people were guesstimating certain doctrinal issues and their placement in, in history, which we'll get into that here in a little bit. So, who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul, plain and simple. History tells us this very well. Tradition tells us this very well. There's a lot of evidence in the Scripture itself that Paul, the apostle, wrote this book. Now, I alluded earlier that he was in prison when he wrote this, and then it's believed that he wrote this roughly 62 AD uh, when he was in prison in Rome. And this would be in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 through 31. During that time frame is when Paul was writing this particular book, Colossians, and sending it out. And if you, again, if you guys want to hear our conversation about Acts 28, there will be a description in the description down below. There will be a link to the YouTube page and to the podcast page for you to hear that conversation so that you kind of have a, a scope. There's a lot happening in Paul's life. There's a lot of things taking place in the life of Paul while he's writing these letters out, taking time out of his own struggles, dealing with his own worries, to make sure other people are okay. So, what's happening in Colossians? Why is he writing this to these people? Well, there's a lot taking place in this little bitty town. Uh, Epaphras, I can never say his name, I apologize. He's come to Paul because there's a huge heresy taking place in Colossia. That needs to be taken, uh, needs to be handled. There needs to be correction brought to it. Now, this heresy, Paul never gives us a clear title for what it is. We're not really sure what it was specifically. Um, it's um, and there's traits of it that are reminiscent of probably an early form of Gnosticism, which is a one of the biggest heresies in the early church, which is one of the reasons why people had issues with if Paul wrote this because Gnosticism became a major issue in like the second century, <laughs> well beyond the time frame of 62 AD. But when you look at things in context, it's that's way late. This is probably an early version of Gnosticism that we're dealing with. But whatever this heresy was, there were five specific traits that Paul was having to speak to. The first one is that it claimed to be a, a philosophy that stood above everybody else's. It was a philosophy that you can really lean into. And Paul, he called this Philosophy, a hollow, deceptive one. He's like, look, don't don't fall for this mess. And right now, and, and I, if I can draw some um, allusions to today, we're being faced with all kinds of philosophies today in the world. Ones that are touting itself above the scriptures, above the supremacy of Christ, and they're hollow. And they're very deceptive, just like what Paul's dealing with this right here. The second trait is that a lot of there was a lot of emphasis on circumcision, on Jewish dietary laws, and... Um, observance of the holy days. Now, when I say observing the holy days, here at the Healing Place, uh, we often uh, we will make reference to well, we just celebrated Pentecost this past week, which is a Jewish holy day. We we talk about Sukkot, we talk about uh, Passover, and all these things, but we're not strictly bound to them because we're G we're not Jews. <laughs> we're not. We're Gentiles. We're saved by grace. We're grafted in. But something about this early sect said, no, no, no. These are mandatory. You have to do this. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow these dietary laws that we see in Judaism. 
that's one of the things that's taking place within this group of heresies. The third factor is this, that they put more stock in the supernatural elements of the creation of the world uh, which um, than they should. In fact, they encouraged somehow um, the worship of angels. Then this heresy, they were putting angels above who Jesus was, which again, we know from scriptures that that's just not the case. Angels are well below who Jesus is and what Jesus does in our lives, but yet encouraged the worship of angels. It lowered the position and authority of Jesus. The fourth teaching that this uh, heresy brought out was the teaching that the body was evil and should be treated as an enemy to the point of self-inflicted pain, to the point of people uh, hurting themselves in major ways. Now comes the biggest heresy of this group. They claim to be followers of Jesus, even with everything taking place here. Things that if you read through the book of Acts, which, again, that wasn't necessarily a thing that they had available to them. Things that if you understood the Gospels, you would tell that it's not a Christian group. These are not people who truly follow Jesus, yet they claimed to be speaking for Jesus. They claimed to be followers of Jesus. You can understand why this was a concern for Paul. You can understand why he's looking at this group and he's like, hmm, this is not good. Yes, let me speak into the situation. Let me bring some correction to some heresies taking place because this is dangerous. Some of the things are, that these people are teaching, this dangerous teaching was probably some sort of amalgam of, of some Judaism mixed with an early form of Gnosticism, which is a belief that basically anything physical is evil and it, only the spiritual things are true. Um, if you want to know more about Gnosticism, let us know. We'll talk about it on the show later. Um, but all these things masked with uh, a veil of Christianity. Again, they did not deny Jesus. They, they said, yeah, we're Christians. We know who Jesus is. We believe in Jesus. But the main issue was they denied his supremacy. They denied his position and authority. Which, to be perfectly honest, there are groups today, very popular groups, very big organizations that tout themselves as Christians, and they do the same thing. They deny the supremacy of who Jesus is. And so this is what's taking place. This is the atmosphere that Paul is writing to. This is the church that's struggling that Paul is looking into, and he's now pinning the following words to. But for what purpose? How? What is he doing here? I, I mean, it's real clear. He is writing this out to encourage people to, A, not return to pagan practices because this is the early church that has been rescued from these things, but to stay away from this dangerous teaching, to stay away from these things that are being taught to them that are dangerous and that are not good for them. They are leading them away from the true gospel. Now, his methodology was interesting enough is that it's not just a matter of like, look how bad this is. He spends quite a bit of time going, okay, yes, here's the false things. Now, let me show you the truth. Let me show you who Jesus really is. Let me encourage you and exalt Christ in front of you right now. Watch what plays out here, which I think is a really interesting teaching tactic. I feel like so often today we spend so much time going, look at how wrong these people are. Look at what they're teaching and how bad it is. And we stop teaching what the word actually says. We stop telling the truth of who Jesus really and truly is. 
So what's ahead of us? As we get into this over the next several weeks, what is taking place? What do we have to, to discover? In chapter one, it's, it's a lot of it's an introduction. As I said earlier, there's an elongated thanksgiving that uh, Paul has uh, for the faith the Colossians have held together. Obviously, if you read this out, it doesn't look like this heresy is taking strong root, but it's definitely shaking the foundations of the church that needs to be corrected. But also, it's a presentation of Jesus' supremacy in creation, in the church, his supremacy in salvation, and even in Paul's ministry itself. These are the four areas that we're going to see laid out for us in chapter 1. Chapter 2, Paul addresses the main issues with this new heresy. He speaks uh, against the false philosophy. He speaks against the legalism that is found in it. He speaks against angel worship. And he also uh, speaks against the teachings of self-harm that are to stop the indulgence of the flesh. So he's, this is the chapter where he speaks specifically to these areas and he brings some correction to it. The next thing is in chapter 3 and into chapter 4 just a little bit, Paul shows how Jesus' supremacy affects the life of the believer in their relationship with Jesus, how it affects their relationship with the local church, how it affects their relationship with their family, the workplace, and with the unbelieving world, how Jesus' supremacy affects the way we deal with people who don't believe in Jesus. And then chapter 4 rounds things out real nicely with a conversation about just kind of final farewells and benedictions that take place there. It's his, hey, I've been here, and this is what I have to say. I can't wait to see how you grow and how you take your next step, and I care about you. And this is what we're going to do for the next four weeks, guys. We're going to walk through this together examining the scriptures line by line, verse by verse, not taking things out of context, examining them in context with the immense the original audience. But we are going to be asking ourselves pretty specifically, how does this apply to our lives? How can this challenge us today? And I'm going to tell you guys right now, just there are things in the world, they're challenging the supremacy of Christ in this moment today. There are things taking place real time right now that's touting itself as a new philosophy that flies in the face of the Bible and are leading the church astray. There are things that are, we're going to read about here today that you're going to be able to step back and go, man, there are groups today that call themselves believers, but they don't believe in the authority of Jesus at all. Or if they do, they have a very twisted understanding of what that means. So guys, join us for this conversation. It's going to be really interesting. Our hope, our prayer for you as we continue this series within the midweek move is simply this, that you take your next step in Jesus. That as you understand the supremacy of Christ and who he is in, in the world and that relationship to you, to those around you, that you grow in your faith, that you're strengthened, that you are emboldened to share the gospel, to let people know that there's hope, to let people know that there is, there is truth out there, that they can be saved by Jesus himself, who's above every single thing. I love you guys. I appreciate you. Do me a favor. Reach out to us, mediahub at thpshreport.com. Check out our Facebook page, uh, uh, Midweek Move. Reach out to us. Comment back to us. Let us know your thoughts on what we're teaching. Do you have any questions about things I've said today? Let us know. I want to answer them. I want to answer them in the chat. And if, there, if there's a elongated conversation, hey, we might even answer it on the podcast. So reach out to us. Let us know. I love you guys so much. Until next time, have a great week.